morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. Uh, just uh, excited to be with you, even though we're over the internet. Uh, God is good, and I know that where you're at, hopefully you're gathered with just a few other people. We're able to do that this morning, and you'll be blessed by uh, being able to be with the body, especially for you, you extroverts that are now starting to meet in these groups of 10. Just bless you for that, and I know that you're getting some... Uh, inputs right now. So praise God for that. If you're the introvert and you're still sort of like, I like this shut-in thing, Jesus is going to help you too with all of the opportunity you have to be around people this morning. So uh, we've got a couple of things you need to know about that are going on in our community. And oh, the first is that, as we shared last week, we released our first song uh, from our worship collective called Tribes and Tongues. It's called Psalm 107. If you have not seen that, you can go uh, to our web page and you can take a look at that song. You can go to YouTube, look up Tribes, Tribes and Tongues Collective. And that song has not only been released, uh, but all of the proceeds, because we're accepting donations for it, all of the proceeds, when you download that song, are going to go to Pastor Alex Yelenga and Messian, uh, Zambia Messianic Fellowship. We're using that song as a first launch to generate some income for Pastor Alex and that ministry there. Things in Zambia are very, very difficult right now, and we believe that financial help will bring the answers to prayer that they need. So if you want to share that song, family and friends, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, wherever it might be, we would appreciate it. As of uh, this morning, we have 1,400 views and we've raised $750 we're looking to raise $5,000 for Pastor Alex and Zambia Messianic Fellowship. So if you are able to uh, contribute and or download that song and donate through that, that would be awesome. Okay, the next thing you need to know, and we're very excited about this, we're going to be meeting Sunday, May 31st for our Pentecost, your Shavuot celebration. That will be at 5 o'clock and we're going to be outside at the Bandshell at Kleiner Park in the middle of Meridian. Uh, we are very excited about this. It's going to be our first gathering as a body for about three months. And as a result, no, about two months. Sorry, I don't want to exaggerate. Uh, we are excited. We're going to be able to use the Bandshell, uh, turn up the music really, really loud, and just trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do some great things in our body and the people that we can invite. So I want to encourage you to be praying and invite people that need to hear about following Jesus. This is going to be an opportunity for them to be able to say yes to him. And if there's ever a time when people are talking about what their life means and why their life matters and how they can get out of these patterns that are corrupting their life and discouraging them, this is the time. And so I want to encourage you in faith and obedience to use this as an opportunity to bring people to hear the gospel. Now, I want you to know that on the screen, there's going to be a link to the webpage that you can text people information. So if you've got friends or family you want to invite, you can actually text that information to them, and you're going to be able to uh, accurately communicate that without um, any uh, glitches in um, times and dates and locations and so on. Okay, so let's jump into the Word this morning. If you will, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and we are right now going through a series called Anticipating the Spirit, Anticipating the Spirit. The first week we looked at God's presence, 
The second week, week we looked at the power of the Spirit. And this week we are looking at the purpose of the Holy Spirit. When we move from Passover to Pentecost, this journey of counting the days, 50 days, today's day 28, anticipating a move of the Spirit, we're answering the question in this series, what exactly are we anticipating? What are we waiting for? What are we asking God to do? And as we're anticipating the Spirit and counting day after day and praying day after day, we said, first of all, we're anticipating that the Holy Spirit will unveil the presence of God. We saw last week that the Holy Spirit, when it shows up, the Holy Spirit is the power of God. And today we're looking at the fact that we're anticipating the purposes of God being worked into our lives and through our lives. Now, I, I want to talk uh, about today about uh, the fact that when the purpose of God is at work in our life, the fruit of that is freedom. So we're going to see this connection between the Holy Spirit showing up and renewing our purpose and giving us purpose, fulfilling the purposes of God, and how that works out then into the freedom that humanity needs. Corrupted freedom is what we operate in. Corrupted freedom is where we operate now. Late last month, April 29th, April 30th or so, phone message went out from Michelle Obama. It encouraged people in the D.C. area to make sure that they were continuing to shelter in place, stay home, to try to protect those people who live in D.C. and surrounding areas. That means people can't go out. They, can't, they don't go to parks. They're not going to play basketball at a park. They're not going to stores and places that are presumed to be uh, non-essential. Two days before that, President Obama traveled from D.C. to Virginia to golf. Mayor Bill de Blasio, New York, strict stay-at-home orders. On video, just a couple weeks ago, was caught heading to his gym to work out when nobody else can, and then ends up walking through a park in Brooklyn, which nobody else can walk through, because it's an important part of his life and his family's life. Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, quotes Jesus' love and compassion and encourages people to stay home, sequester themselves, follow the stay-at-home orders, while he and his family leave the capital and travel to Quebec to visit his extended family for Easter. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot got her haircut, posted on Facebook, got her haircut when nobody else can go. Barbers and hairstylists and salons are forbidden from operating. Gets her haircut because her personal hygiene, she says, is really important to her. Senator Burr, the beginning of all of this mess, sold thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of stocks right before everything crashed 
doing so likely on insider information so that a senator is able to use information that he or she acquires, protect themselves from what everybody else can't protect themselves, insider trading. Anybody else does that, they go to jail. Colorado right now is forbidding gatherings of more than 10 people. They've forbidden churches from meeting in more than 10, but they've left marijuana dispensaries, liquor stores, gun stores, oil and gas can drill for, even though we have a glut of oil and gas right now, while churches are shut down. And in response, hundreds of churches all over Colorado are going to meet for the first time Sunday, May 31st, to declare that religious freedom matters in America. Our version of freedom is corrupted. Our version of freedom, when we can say to people, you need marijuana, you need alcohol, you need more ammunition, we need more energy sources, and at the same time, say, you can't meet as a church, it's corrupted freedom. When Republican senators can benefit from insider trading and nobody else can unless they go to jail, corrupted freedom. When leaders of states and cities forbid people from the very freedoms that they themselves exercise, it's corrupted freedom. We're operating in a climate right now in which freedom is fundamentally corrupted more than this because of the way that this has been handled from a national level all the way down to a city level. Many people who are struggling right now because their businesses have closed down, they've lost their jobs, they're literally stuck at home. We've not just simply robbed people of the ability to meet their financial needs, their physical needs. We've robbed people of the very purpose that animates their life. Our culture, understand, prior to this coronavirus has lived for entertainment, for vacations. We've lived for the weekend. We've really defined life through the lens of retirement rather than productivity and fruitfulness. And now, here we are, stuck in a perpetual vacation. In fact, many of the things that we're doing right now, where people are at home, binge watching, it's what we do on vacation. We're stuck with a little group of people being able to just eat and be around each other, family dinners, play in our backyard. That's what we do for vacation. Now we're stuck in vacation and we aren't able to find purpose and meaning in it. Our whole culture is flipped around when it comes to purpose and freedom. In fact, right now what we're discovering, many people are discovering, whereas they'd work during the week for the weekend, work so that they could vacation, work for entertainment, work so they could do the things they thought they really wanted to do. People are realizing, no, wait a minute, work gives my life purpose and meaning. Work is the way that I'm able to support my family and have a sense of significance and purpose in the world. Corrupted freedom. Our ideas about freedom are corrupted. The invitation of the Spirit is for us to reconsider that the purpose of being a governor or a mayor or a senator, the purpose of work ultimately is to facilitate freedom, not to corrupt freedom. 
we as believers have to understand that in a, in a parallel way, God is calling us to be people who live in the eternal scope of his purpose. And that out of that, we bring freedom into the world. I want you to notice what it says in Genesis chapter 1. This familiar verse, but I want to build on this through the scripture so we can grasp the ultimate purpose that God has for us as his sons and daughters. It says in chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man, and it includes woman, in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So the first thing that we realize here is that humans are to image God. When we see each other, we are to see God. That is the purpose of humanity is to image God. Now we know that through the fall, we've lost that image but God's purpose for us has never changed. We are still to image God. And that's then bleeds over into the next verse, which it says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every creeping thing that moves on the earth. So out of our call to image, we are then called to exercise dominion or to fulfill the purpose of God. In other words, when God created man, put him in the garden, gave him life by bringing him into his presence, purpose was inherently bound up in life. To have life was to have purpose. Without purpose, there is no life. And what we discover as we read through Genesis 2 and 3 is that as man fell into sin and darkness and idolatry, so man lost life. Why? Because they forgot the purpose for which they were created, which was God's presence and God's work in the earth. Corruption disconnected us from the source of our life as well as the purpose of our life. And so God inherently wove into the fabric of our existence the need for purpose. Where there is no purpose, there is no life. Which is why when you go and you watch the movie called Conspiracy Theory, there is this horrible line from the antagonist who is played by that bald guy who was the sexiest man alive a few years ago, Jean-Luc Picard from the new Star Wars series. I don't remember what his actual name is, but we're going to call him Jean-Luc. He says to the protagonist, played by Mel Gibson, he says this, Jerry, how would you like to go to a place where there is no hope, only patience? I would like to go to a place where there is no hope, only patience. For many people, their life is simply waiting, waiting, waiting. Why? They have lost a sense of their purpose. They don't know how to answer 
the question, why? Why am I here? Now, God, understand, knew this. And so what we're struggling right now is that we have been robbed of life because as a culture, we have been shelved. We literally have people telling us we're supposed to hold on. We've got government agencies, figureheads and so on, telling us shelter in. In fact, we have celebrities. I mean, get this. Think about this for a minute. Celebrities living in multi-million dollar homes, huge backyards, pools, all sorts of things, talking about how hard it is for them to be quarantined and how we just need to stay the course and you know keep going. And I'm thinking, the last person that I want to see telling me to stay in is a celebrity under the circumstances because there is no purpose found in the life that they live or what they're doing. And they're just simply generating this idea that their celebrity itself is purpose. That robs us of life. If our aspiration is to be like them, we need to grasp the fact that the culture having been put on the shelf, is losing a sense of its identity and purpose. People are dying for lack of engaging meaningful purpose right now. And if we don't grasp that, we fail to understand that the increase of alcohol, the increase of of, um, suicide, the increase of depression is specifically related to, not exclusively, but specifically related to the fact that people can't answer the question why. And so here from the beginning, we see that it's woven into the fabric of our identity, but I want to trace purpose through the scripture so we can grasp ultimately where this goes. To have purpose is to contend now, understand, man was brought into bondage of sin and death. We're blind. Our conscience is darkened. Our hearts have been hardened. Oh, there's chains around us that the purpose of man and women have become as we partner with God, the liberation of creation and humanity. In other words, freedom is what we've been called to actualize in the world. When people say, what's your purpose? Our purpose as believers is to bring about true, genuine, uncorrupted, pure freedom. Not like the freedom that's being advocated by the governor of Colorado or the mayor of Chicago or the Republican Senator Burr. Not that kind of freedom. The kind of freedom where we can say alcohol does not have to rule your life anymore. You don't have to be depressed because we're in quarantine. There is something better. Purpose ultimately gives way to the experience of freedom as well as the ministry of freedom. And that is what God has called us to in the Holy Spirit. Notice Exodus. I want you to grasp this. Exodus chapter 20. As God is preparing his people to fulfill their purpose in Exodus, he first of all says, we're going to actually begin in verse 19, verse 4, chapter 19, verse 4. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Notice, this passage begins with, I have freed you. And if you look in chapter 20, verse 1, it says, God spoke all these words saying, I am Yahweh your God. Look, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Freedom was what God gave to his people. He rescued them from bondage and slavery and instilled in them both the vision and identity of freedom. You are a free people. But notice what it goes on to say in verse 5 of chapter 19. Therefore, because 
I have freed you and you are now free. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. Freedom gave Israel the opportunity to have a renewed identity. They realized they were God's treasured possession and they were a covenant people bound to God by his own faithfulness. And in that identity, that freedom gave them a new identity. They knew who they were. And then out of that, look what it says. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What does that mean? To be a kingdom of priests means that they are intercessors. And that word means that we stand between heaven and earth, God and humanity, to reconcile humans back to God. The same way we have been freed and have been given a new identity as a freed people, as God's treasured possession, which is a term of endearment that God uses for his wife, a treasured possession and a covenant people, we now, out of our own freedom, invite people into that freedom. That defines our purpose. We are a people who are freed so that we can free others. Notice how this is expanded, and we don't have time to read all of it. You can read it on your own in Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25 is a passage of scripture that comes late in the book of Leviticus. And the flow of Leviticus is in the first 16 chapters. It's as if the people of God are ascending the mountain of God and stepping into the presence of God, which is summarized in chapter 16. That's when the high priest goes in to the presence of God once a year to receive forgiveness and reconciliation for the people of God. So there's this journey that begins in the book of Leviticus, first with sacrifices, which paved the way into the presence of God, then the priesthood, which facilitates the sacrifices of God, and then it speaks of cleanness and separation and holiness, which prepares us for the presence of God. And then we come into God's presence in chapter 16. But then it is as, as if we have ascended the mountain. Now we begin to descend the mountain with the presence of God to let his presence begin to work its way into creation and the nations of the world. So from chapter 16 forward, we begin to see this pattern of God calling his people to be moral and just in their personal relationships and marital relationships and family relationships and an economic arrangement, which brings us to Leviticus chapter 25. And here God is speaking about indentured servitude, slavery. We're not allowed to keep people enslaved, but it says in this chapter that I want you to notice, and you can read with me. We can't read all of it, but we will read a bit of it. Notice what it says. Verse eight, you shall count seven cycles of years. 49 years, seven times seven, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. So God's people, in the same way that we're counting 49 days from Passover to Pentecost, they were to count 49 years, a season of anticipation. Verse nine, you shall look, sound the loud trumpet on Yom Kippur, the seventh day, seventh month, the 10th day. And that trumpet was the trumpet of freedom. And you shall consecrate the 50th year, it says, and look, proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants. 
and shall return everyone's property to him. And so this is what happens. The 50th year was a declaration of the freedom of the people of God. They've ascended the mountain. They've encountered his presence. The presence of God is bringing justice and righteousness and morality and truth into the world. And that ultimately manifests in a 50-year cycle where the people of God were to encounter freedom over and over and over again on the 50th year, which helps us understand we are counting 50 days up to Pentecost for the purpose of encountering freedom once again. And out of this, we want to grasp that the year of Jubilee, that's the way we say it in English, was an ecological, meaning the land needed to rest, and it got a one-year rest, which is something we fail to understand today, an economic rest, an interpersonal rest. All of these seasons, if you will, in the people of God reminded them that freedom was their ultimate heritage, and that's what they were created for. And so what it does is, as you see this expand through the scripture in Isaiah chapter 61, which is where the year of Jubilee is developed, I want you to notice how it takes this theme from Leviticus 25 and expands it even more. The symbolism expands not just to the land resting, the people of God resting, slaves being freed. So this vision of freedom, now it expands to physical healing, to mar the marginalized being accepted, that the free we have freedom from idolatry. Look in chapter 61, verses 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And this is speaking about the coming Messiah. Because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. There it is. The poor are the marginalized, those that were outcasts. Good news is you are no longer outcast and marginalized. You are now rich because of the Messiah. It says he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That means those who internally have been broken by the degradation of sin. To look at proclaim liberty to captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Here it is. The year of Jubilee set people free. Here we now have the Holy Spirit not only providing physical freedom, but now spiritual, relational, emotional, physiological, mental freedom to humanity. God has called his people as kings and priests to be those who are bringing justice, righteousness, morality into the world that ultimately brings freedom. And notice that it says that it's going to be the year of the Lord's favor. Why? Because when favor comes, freedom comes. And look what it says in verse 3. We grant to those who mourn, we give them beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And so there's this move from people mourning and being under the crushing burden of sin who are now freed and walking in beauty and joy. Like it says in Psalm chapter 149 that God beautifies the humble with salvation. He saves us and we become beautiful is the way we were intended to be. But here's the catch. Verse 4, look what it says. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Here it is. Freedom produces purpose. Catch this. God calls his people out of Egypt and says, I've freed you from Egypt. I've given you a new identity. And out of that identity, I've given you a new commission to be a kingdom of priests who reconciles the world. 
Then in Leviticus 25, he says, I'm, in, I'm putting this into the very fabric of your time so that freedom is a cyclical reality and we're reminded of not only who we are, but what our purpose is to bring freedom into the world. Now in Isaiah, the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus is prophesied here to bring freedom to every layer of our humanity for what purpose? To rebuild what has been destroyed. Freedom is ultimately producing purpose and purpose ultimately produces freedom. I'm freed to fulfill my purpose and my purpose is to bring freedom into the world. And so here we have now Jesus. If you go to Luke chapter four, Jesus embodies this very purpose when he pronounces the purpose of his spirit. And he's in a... a um, synagogue in Israel, and he actually opens up to the scroll in Isaiah chapter 61, where we just read from, and I want you to notice what it says. Verse 18, Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim captive liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are pro, uh, oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that is a uh, way of referring to the year of Jubilee. So Jesus himself said his purpose was to bring freedom into the world. How did he do that? The Spirit anointed him. In other words, Jesus was unable to do the very thing that the Father had called him to do without the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. And he goes on to say in verse 21, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The year of Jubilee, he says, is upon you. Freedom is now available through the Son who has manifested the presence of God and the power of God so the purpose of God can be fulfilled. And here what we have Notice what it says, both from Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, that when people get free, they get out of prison, they're captives, and they're open, the, the gates are open. When their eyes were blind, now they see, and we know it goes on in other passages that speak about the deaf hearing and the lame walking. Those who are depressed receive joy. Those who are brokenhearted receive healing. We know that when those things are taking place, that God in the person of Jesus is creating new persons. We become renewed in our own humanity. And we ourselves who were blind now see, who were deaf now hear, who were lame now walk. We who are bound are now set free. God in us individually makes us into a new kind of person but collectively, we become a culture and a body of renewed people. So we are not only a renewed person, we are now a renewed people who, like it says in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 4, we are rebuilding the waste places. We are going to the places where humanity has been wasted and God is now restoring it through our life, which is why when we read about the people of God and the disciples, the first followers of Jesus in the book of Acts, Jesus tells them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem so that you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they wait in Jerusalem for 10 days. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And when the Spirit is poured out, they receive a power they did not have before. 
And out of that power, they begin to speak in languages that they did not know. And as a result, people from all over the Mediterranean hear the gospel. And what happens? They get saved. The bound are set free. Eyes are opened. People begin to realize that the gospel itself is the renewing power that they have been waiting for. And God's people filled with the spirit are remade as new people and as new persons. And the newness of our personhood and our collective sense of being a people brings us to the place where we ourselves go into the world to bring freedom into the world, which is why I want you to notice in Acts chapter eight, and this is the unfolding work of freedom among the people of God. In Acts chapter eight, some of the disciples of Jesus go into a place called Samaria, and we don't have time to go into all the details of it, but you need to know that the Samaritans were the spiritual and religious enemies of the Jews. The Jews considered them the ultimate posers, and as a result, Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. And back in the Gospels, we see that Judas, uh, Jesus, not Judas, Jesus was passing through Samaria and he ministers to the woman at the well in John 4 and she gets saved. And this little town of Sychar, many people come to believe Jesus is the Messiah. But on another occasion, they go through Samaria again and they come to a village and they ask for hospitality to wait there overnight. Understand in the first century, when people traveled and they came to a village seeking hospitality, it was the rudest, most culturally backwards thing to say, we will not give you hospitality. Samaritans on this case did this to Jesus and the disciples, two of the disciples whose nicknames were the sons of thunder, John and James, who were both brothers, come back to Jesus and they say, these Samaritans will not give us hospitality. Let's rain fire down from heaven on them, just like Elijah did. And Jesus says, you have no idea what spirit you're of. The Son of Man didn't come to kill, destroy, but to heal and restore. And so in Acts chapter 8, there's this interesting move of God. The gospel leaves Jerusalem and begins to invade Samaria, the religious and spiritual enemies, cultural enemies of the Jewish people, and a bunch of Samaritans get saved. Well, while they're there, they call the apostles from Jerusalem so they can come there and lay hands on them so they can receive the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Guess who goes? Peter, one of the leading apostles, and John. And they go there, and they see that the Samaritans are authentically believers in the Messiah and followers they lay hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Why does this matter? Because the apostle John was the one who, before Jesus was raised, wanted to destroy the Samaritans with fire from heaven. John now, under the power of the Holy Spirit, grasps the purpose that God created him for. And it was to bring liberty to the captives. John and the Samaritans not only was he able to minister salvation to them individually? But now John is saying to the Samaritans, you're new people, you're a new person, but now we're a new people together. God is bridging this gap between cultures. Here in the Messiah, Jews who are the enemies of the Samaritans are now coming together. And together they become proclaimers 
of the freedom of God. So God not only bridged the chasm between heaven and earth for the Samaritans, but now he bridged the chasm between humans and humans and new people and new, a, a new people rises up to fulfill the freedom that God has intended. How? Under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what made the original followers of Jesus so potent in the world is that the Spirit was bringing freedom into the world, which brings us to us. Acts chapter 2 is the promise we can be filled with the Spirit and become those who are inflamed with the purpose of God so we can bring freedom into the world. Here's how it discusses it in Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 2. We're told by Paul in verse 8 that we have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of our own doing. It's God's gift to us. And it's not a result of our work so that no one may boast. I want you to understand today you need to know that your place in Jesus to be saved means that God does something for us that we could not do on our own. And if you're one of those people who's gone to church or you've been religious or you've done Christian things, you read your Bible, but you're looking at Jesus and saying, I don't know that I really need him. I mean, it's great to have him all, but I've got my religion. You are not a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus sees him and realizes, I was lost, now I'm found. You have the ability to save me, I'm unable. And so let me just say here at this moment that if you're one of those that's wondering whether you follow Jesus or not, and this idea of purpose and freedom is intriguing to you, you must first taste the freedom of God for yourself before you can bring it to anybody else. And this is the day when the Holy Spirit can fill you and free you from the power of religion and works so that you're no longer trusting in what you're doing, and instead you're trusting in what God will do in you. So on the final day, you're going to boast and say, look what you've done for me, Jesus, rather than saying, look what I did for you, Jesus. And this is the invitation for you today that you can receive Jesus as the one who would fill you with new life. But out of that, when we become followers of Jesus who trust in him and believe him and know that he's the one who was raised for our sins, look what it says in verse 10. We are as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want to bring this home very practically. All of this discussion, all the way up to this point, let's, let's grasp it in, in a quick review. Genesis chapter 1, we were created for purpose. Purpose brings life. We realize God freed his people Israel from Egypt to make them free, give them a new identity, and that they themselves would bring freedom into the world. That was their purpose, to bring freedom into the world. God then says in Leviticus chapter 25, that has been in literally wrapped up into time itself. So every 50 years we're proclaiming freedom. And that then became a symbol of the fullness of freedom that God would reveal on the earth through the person of the Spirit and the person of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 61. And so we become a new person and together a new people who are freeing captives and opening blind eyes and, and having people who are deaf here. And we would rebuild the old waste places. So we get free and we bring freedom to others. And we see this modeled not only in the life of Jesus, but in the life of the Apostle John, who brought freedom to the enemies of the people of God and said, you too can join with us 
in this grand purpose of God where we are being freed and we come to free others. Now Paul is writing to a body of non-Jewish people in the city of Ephesus and saying you've been saved by God's grace and you are his workmanship called to fulfill good works. That's us. And so here it is for us. Look at, the, look at verse 10. I want you to notice each of the words very briefly. We are his workmanship. Literally, you have been made by God, not only in your physical person, <clears throat> but as a follower of Jesus, you have been remade by God, remade by God in the renewing power of Jesus' resurrection. So you are now promised life in his presence forever. And you have put on a new identity as well. You are the workmanship of God. Literally, God has taken you and formed you with his hands. And out of that, that workmanship becomes our new identity. The word in the Greek is where we get the English word poem. We are literally the working poems, if you will, of God when the Holy Spirit fills us and saves us and recrafts us for his image. So I can say to myself and I can say to you, nope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been made new and been given a new identity. You are now the handiwork of God, literally a trophy, a poem that's being written on and is writing new music for the world to hear and follow. And we, through this, have to understand, you will not have conviction that you have a purpose until you realize that your resurrection through water baptism and trusting in Jesus has renewed you to be the workmanship of God. Until that's inside of you and you are no longer defining yourselves by what the culture says, you will miss your purpose. But know this, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you today to help you understand you have been recreated as the handiwork of God for a purpose today the Spirit is in you so that you don't lose heart that your life doesn't matter because your life actually does. God is creating you as a trophy of his grace so that you can be displayed in the presence of other people and say, I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. If God can do it for me, he can do it for you. And so the first thing you need to know about purpose is that you were made by God for his purpose. He's renewing you. Number two, I want you to notice this. It says that we are the workmanship of God. How? Created in Christ Jesus. Meaning that it was through the resurrection of Jesus that we have been remade. And so therefore, through his resurrection, we are being restored. You must say yes to Jesus in order to be remade. Jesus is the one who remakes us. Our culture, especially right now, is filled with all kinds of self-help, self-improvement, find your purpose, sorts of discussions. The, the whole phenomena of the life coaches helping you become you. And we say it this way. We say, you do you. But I guess the problem is, what if the you that you're doing is a corrupted you and you're just putting perfume on it? We're putting perfume on pigs rather than having pigs be raised to be stallions. That's a whole other way of living. And we don't want to be uh, succumb to this lie that we can remake ourselves apart from Jesus. We cannot. You cannot remake yourself apart from Jesus even if you're a follower of Jesus. You are constantly remade by Jesus. 
You cannot think for a moment if you've been remade by Jesus a while ago that you're not being remade by Jesus now. The only way that we are being recrafted in the image of God is through Jesus, who it says remakes us for what purpose? Look what it says. We're remade in his, remade in his image through Jesus for what? For good works. We were created for a lifestyle, like it says in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4 and Acts 8, to bring freedom to the captives, to fulfill the good work of God that Jesus himself modeled and we ourselves recreate on the earth, which is why Jesus says, if we trust in him, we will do not only the works that he did, but greater works than he did himself. We become those who are made in his image through Jesus Christ to rebuild the waste places, to bring sight to the blind, to bring uh, 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 hearing to the deaf, to release captives. That becomes your purpose, which gives us a whole new view of our neighborhoods, our relational networks, the people where we work, the kids we go to school with. We are at school and at work in our neighborhoods to do what? To bring liberty to the captives. You say, what's my life about? Freedom. I need to taste it. Other people need it. So this idea of good works, we are called to do good works. And let me just say this to be clear. You're not called to go create your life purpose and your identity. You're called to discover it. You're not creating it. We're discovering it. We're mining it out of the ashes of our brokenness and what sin has done to us. And God is resurrecting us and, re and we discover what he's already made us to be and what he's already made us to do. And when we're filled with the spirit, our purpose is derived from Jesus, not from ourselves. Notice the next thing, number four. It says that not only are we a workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works, what does it say? Which God prepared beforehand. In other words, God has already envisioned what your life is about. He knows you, he chose you, and that's what's before you is your call to freedom. So what you need to understand is God prepared it beforehand. He knew the whole package of your life. He knew your brokenness, your weakness, your bad choices, your failures, your sin. He knew all of it. And he said, I still choose you. He prepared you knowing what your life was going to be like. And so none of us who follow Jesus can say, well, you know, that's not really for me. I just hope to kind of scoot into the kingdom of God. And No, no. God has chosen you, prepared you, crafted you in your strength and your weakness, in your gifts and in your deficiencies for what? To do good works by the power of the Spirit. None of us can say we're ill-equipped because all of us are ill-equipped. God himself is not. And so when he fills us with his spirit, he gives us the purpose of bringing freedom through the power of Jesus so that we ourselves can say the purpose of God is being fulfilled in my life, which then brings us to this, this crisis. We're not adequate of ourselves. We were never intended to be. And so when God says he's prepared beforehand these things, he's prepared it. He is the source that will bring liberty. We are simply the agency. Remember, it's not the hose that waters the garden. The hose is just the delivery mechanism. It's the water that waters the garden. We're the hose. The spirit's the water. We're only the delivery mechanism, but we don't make anything grow, which is why none of us can say, I'm not in, I'm really not able, I'm not, I'm inadequate. That's not true. Uh, since all of us are inadequate, God makes us adequate. And then it says that we are to walk in them, which means you have to respond with faithful obedience. That's all God's asking you to do. Just obey what he says. We fulfill our purpose when we respond to God in faithful obedience. You will not receive the power of the Holy Spirit 
without faithful obedience. You must risk failure and falling on your face in order to receive the power that you need. You see, for many of us, we want our purpose to be fulfilled by getting power and then going to do what God's called us to do. We get filled with the Spirit, we taste freedom, then He says, go now and obey me. It's in the obedience that the power of God's Spirit comes. And so we have to grasp this idea that as we go, we will receive what we need. All God's asking of us is obedience. Let me close. Let me wrap it up with this. You and I both have been creating Christ Jesus, literally formed by his hands for the express purpose of being free, knowing freedom. God has freedom for you today. What we're anticipating in this season is freedom. But out of that freedom, God commissions us with a purpose. What can we anticipate in this season? I get more free and I grasp my purpose more. Why am I going to Pentecost? Because I want purpose. Why am I praying these 50 days? Because I want purpose. Why am I contending for God? Because I believe freedom is available, not just for me, but I get to be a conduit of freedom for the people that are around me. That is your purpose. That's God's call in your life. That's the invitation today. Let's pray as we close so that God can convict all of us that the purposes of God will be fulfilled in our life. Father, we believe that your purpose is greater than any purpose. And I pray for every man, woman, and child, everyone who thinks they're rich or poor, everyone who thinks they're weak or strong, I pray for everyone, no matter where they're at, that they realize they've got a purpose. And the Holy Spirit is, we right now receive the Holy Spirit that the purpose of God would come alive in us and that we would sense that we are here for a reason. Holy Spirit, I pray, do not leave us blind to it. Do not leave us deaf, but open our eyes and our ears. Prepare us so your purpose would be fulfilled in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Look forward to seeing you on May 31st for Pentecost.